All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another day of Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Tuesday, May 9th of 2023 here. Looks like we have a 10-game MLB main slate. We have a two-game NBA main slate and a two-game NHL main slate, as well as golf teeing off Thursday morning here. So it should be a fun day of uh Office hours here. Looking forward to it. For those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Andrew, one of the coaches over here at SaberSim. This is a show where we go over how to use the SaberSim app, answer any and all DFS-related questions. You can post questions live in the YouTube chat or over in the Office Hours channel in our Discord server. If you're not in our Discord, there's a link in the description below to get joined up. Highly recommend it as always. But with that being said, going to get the app pulled up here. Uh, looks like we have a couple questions in the Discord. I'm going to start with a question that came in via support here, but we will get to all the questions before the end of the show, as always here. So I'm going to get this first question in here and get rocking and rolling. All right, question says, hey, in basketball, I know you want players to get 5X or more salaries. In baseball, what do you want your pitchers and batters to get to pay off their salaries? How many times their salary thinks? Okay, so interesting question here. Um, I, I would say that, you know, this question is particularly hard, I guess, to answer. Um, more along the lines of I don't think you can think about basketball the same way you can think about MLB. Um, for instance, I think I think the easiest example is basically that, you know, for, for a lot of batters here, their most likely outcome is going to be zero points. Uh, you know, we could sit here and we could click through all these batters and, and you're going to see the very same thing of this right, very right skewed data set here uh, with a big tail event. Um, you know, we, we've had, we've shown three examples on screen and each player has had their most likely expectation being zero points. So, so basically my point is that um, I I've seen plenty of times where a winning lineup will have a zero in their lineup. And that is because that, that, that one individual piece uh, got zero, but other players in the lineup did really well, well, where they had these outcomes over here on the right, where, you know, a, a player had a 20, 30 point game and that more than made up for that one singular piece that did poorly here. Uh, you're never going to really see that with basketball. It's, it's, extremely extremely rare that you're going to see somebody win a contest with a zero in their lineup basketball is just such a different game points are gained like fantasy points are gained incrementally here uh you know one point at a time with rebounds or assists two points at a time with with shots three points with like a three-pointer or a steal or something like that right you you get to these fantasy point outcomes very incrementally here in, in baseball, you know, a, a player could go one for four, but that one swing of the bat could be a three-run home run, which gets them, you know, 18 points or or more, depending on what fantasy uh, site you're playing on, right? A uh, home run is going to be worth, I think, 14 points on DraftKings and about 18.7 if it's like a solo home run on FanDuel, then that does not even account for players being on base, additional RBIs, and all of that here, right? So, um, so just just the dynamics of MLB are a lot different here. 
so so to answer the question, I wouldn't be trying to construct my lineups thinking about how can I get every single player on my team to pay off their salary. Um, what I would be trying to do is trying to find high upside stacks, high upside uh, teams here where I can use multiple players in the same lineup and build a strong lineup with a uh, lot of pieces that correlate well together here. So going back to like the, the one player scoring a zero example, that's probably coming from, you know, some, some team that did really well where, you know, maybe the team does really well. This team scores seven, eight, nine runs and four out of your five pieces, you know, let's say you have a five stack, four out of the five pieces were, were a big part of that uh, scoring environment. They were scoring runs. They were hitting in, other players and getting RBIs, they were getting hits, you know, extra base hits. They're getting extra at bats from their teammates getting on base. Um, but that one player had a bad game, went 0 for 5, you know, didn't do too much. But all the other players on that team in that stack, you know, got 15 points, 20 points, 25 points, and they more than made up for that one individual piece doing poorly, right? I think that is the situation that you're going to see a lot in baseball. So, um, uh, to, to, to wrap a bow on it, not to ramble here too long, uh, try and find high upside stacks, try and correlate correlation and stacking is still the best thing that you could do for your MLB lineups. And I would approach it more from that lens, as opposed to trying to find individual pieces to pay off their salaries. I don't think that is the best way to build MLB lineups in 2023, but good question to get us going. Definitely worth talking about here. Uh, kind of leads us into our next question here from Bill's Nut. So these two look like they uh, roll very well together here. So question in the Discord says, what is the maximum percent team stack exposure that is optimal for MME in MLB? Uh, MME stands for mass multi-entry. For example, last night the sim gave me 70% Houston. That seemed crazy to me. Why would you want anything close to that? For any team in such a volatile sport, is it advisable to max out 150 max or can you be optimal with less? So, okay, two questions here. Uh, going to address them differently here. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm gonna run some lineups here just so we have a build to work with. And then I am going to address this first question that came in about a uh, percentage of team stacks here. Uh, first thing I want to say is that, you know, there's, there's really not a quote unquote, like optimal number uh, for, you know, what percent of, of a team should you be stacking here? That's really relative. And um, it's, it's relative to your risk tolerance is relative to the ownership of the batters in that lineup. Uh, so, so no, no one fits all answer for that. What I do want to talk about is SaberSim and how SaberSim is handling team stacks here. Uh, so first things first, you know, you said, uh, one key point in the question was last night, the sim gave me 70% of Houston. That seemed crazy to me. Uh, why would you want anything close to that for any team in such a volatile sport? So along the lines of, of that point there, uh, Saber Sim is, is an optimizer that is, is, is grading lineups based on a formula that tries to approximate the EV of your lineups here. So what SaberSim does not do is it does not do any type of risk management. So although the lineups and the players are highly volatile, SaberSim is determining, hey, you know, the players from this lineup 
are probably the the best plays on the slate in its analysis, right? So what Saberson wants to do is get as many of those players in your lineup as possible because Saberson is determining that, hey, these lineups, when I grade for mean projection, upside, and adjusted ownership here, which is the components of the Sabres score formula here, these players, this group of players grade out really well. And, and, you know, these players are correlated together because they're in the same lineup. So it looks like San Diego is that lineup here tonight. And, and um, that was our highest team stack exposure, still only 35%, you know, not as high as uh, you said Houston was, but the point remains that, you know, when Sabersim identifies a team or a group of players that it, it deems to be uh high, high EV, high, have high expected value. It is going to push as many of those lineups with those players to the top. And that is because it does not understand risk management. That is where you come in as the user in this man plus machine framework. And, and your best value add, in my opinion, is to come in in here and make those adjustments and, and make Sabersim find other teams to stack other combinations to use and um, make make the builder work a little bit here. So I think that some of the best ways that you can do that right off the bat, we talk about this right to left approach here, where you are working from mini uniques over on you know the right hand side or like middle of the screen towards the left, which is basically going from mini uniques to stack types, two game stacks, two team stacks, two individual players. Right, we're trying to start from this broad approach and work more down to the nitty gritty, not start with individual batters, not start with individual pitchers, but arrive there uh, at the end to make some final fine tune adjustments if needed here. So the way that I um, handle risk management here is I start out with mini uniques here. I like to set this to about half of the lineups in a individual lineup. So for instance, there's 10 players in this lineup. Right off the bat, I'm going to set this to five for my own personal uh, preference here. I've talked to Jordan about this extensively. He likes to do something different where he likes to set it to one less than the max. So he'll try and max this out. Uh, it looks like eight is pr probably about the right number. If I go to nine, I run out of lineups here. My number of lineups goes from 20 to 13. So then he would set this to um, eight here and use this as his starting point. So there's really no wrong or right answer with mini uniques. This is definitely all about a uh, personal preference here. And then, uh, but, I, but you know, I, I'm not Jordan, so I'm going to kind of do this my way here. So I'm going to go mini uniques of five, and then I'm going to go to my stack types. I'm going to make sure that I am comfortable with the stack types that I am seeing here. So I'm, I'm fine playing four stacks and five stacks. I think if I saw any three stacks in here, I would probably just zero them out and get rid of them, not wanting to play any of those. Going to go to my game stacks, not super concerned about uh, what I'm seeing here. And then going to go to my team stacks here. So one, I'm going to check the all page, but then two, I personally want to know what uh, all of my two, three, four, and five stacks look like here. So one thing that I think can happen that can be a little uh, deceiving is that say there's a team that, you know, you have deemed as a good play, a good leverage play, and you want to get more of this team. Maybe it is somebody like uh, San Francisco here. They're in about 18% of our pool, but we're only seeing two lineups with them. And, you know, maybe you want to get to about 25% uh, San Francisco stacks here. 
So now I'm getting San Francisco at 25%. But what can happen, to, what the builder can do is, which is what it is doing here, which is exactly what I wanted to uh, show. So I'm asking for 25% San Francisco stacks. Great, I'm getting it. But what type of stacks am I getting, right? So four out of the five San Francisco stacks that I'm getting are two stacks. So intuitively, I might think, Hey, I'm getting to 25% San Francisco. That's great. You know, if, if they do good, they're a low owned leverage play. Um, I, I don't actually know if they're a low owned, but but I'm just using it as an example here. Uh, but but nothing would feel worse than San Francisco having a really good game, and then you realizing after the the game happened that four out of your five San Francisco stacks were two stacks. So you didn't get to capitalize on the big game that San Francisco had, even though your read on the slate was, was correct. Right. So I like to come in here, make sure that I'm getting um, some bigger stacks of the teams that I am trying to take a stand on. So I'm okay with some San Francisco two stacks, but I'm going to limit this to two out of the five here and make the builder go and find, you know, some, some three stacks of San Francisco, uh, a four stack of San Francisco, even a five stack of San Francisco. So I like this spread of my San Francisco stacks much better. So I, I always think it's worth coming in here and just taking a peek and making sure the builder is not, you know, finding an easy way out where it still gets to get to all of its San Diego and uh, gets to fit in your San Francisco as a secondary stack. So I think it's good to come in here and, and peek at these team stack individual columns here. And then lastly, I would come in here. Um, I'm going to do this two ways, really. I'm going to look at uh, all batters in in one tab here, and I'm I'm fine with this uh, allocation here. I I'm not a fan of owning any individual batter like above 50%. I think I've also said 40%. Really depends on the number of lineups that I'm building here. So I think I like 20 lineups. You know, I'm I'm not comfortable with anything like over 50%. Personally, uh, if this is 150 lineups, I might drop that number that I'm comfortable with down to something closer to like 40% or even less, right? So really depends on the number of lineups I'm building. And then you could come in here and look at your pitchers uh, separately here. And I'm comfortable with 40% of, of any pitcher here. I think that is totally fine here. We're matching uh, the field uh, approximately with, with Otani here. So that, that is how I'm doing risk management. That is how I am adding value to the builder. I think that is probably one of the best frameworks for adding value in general here. Um, and also just, just while we're on this point, looks like a couple comments coming in on here. AK said, I haven't seen the right to left approach breakdown for the, uh, Saber Sim 2.0. Can you link a video? Or elaborate and then um benny hana said hi andrew hope you're well what is the right to left approach again and then um you know so so same question as ak and then uh so so basically th this right to left approach is basically just just in the post build how are you working through the components of your lineup portfolio right so so um kind of just walk through it but but just to summarize here basically um, it, it is better to start from a wider framework and work down to a smaller framework as opposed to working uh, directly with individual components of your lineups, right? So so if you notice here, I didn't touch any individual batter exposures. I didn't touch any individual pitcher exposures. I got to the percentages that I am comfortable with by adjusting min uniques, by 
um, checking my stack types by checking individual team stacks. I never had to come in here and adjust individual batters. Let's say that I didn't use many uniques and I didn't adjust any of these stack types, right? So what, what I'm going to see is I'm going to see a lot higher um, percentages in general here. So let me just reset this in case I made any adjustments here and going to make two adjustments, two projections to see these lineups once again here. And if, if I were to go, you know, straight to the all tab, straight to the all batters, uh, the builder's going to do a good job of, of getting pretty spread out here. I think Bogart was at 35% and here he's at 40% here. Um, but I think that the one thing that we'll see is like, um, I'll, I'll, depending on depending on the slate right you can see a lot of players from the same team like really get boosted up here i've i've ran 20 lineup default builds where we love toronto and we're just getting like a ton of bobachet and um vlad junior right so it, it really depends this seems like a, a little bit more of a spread out slate but you just got to be cautious with going directly to some of these tabs here and i think that you could add more value by looking broadly as opposed to looking at individual batters. It's basically what I'm trying to say. And then Benny Hanna said, yeah, you're talking about right to left on the interface. Correct. So, so I'm talking about in the post build, working your way from mini uniques to the left here. I think that is probably the best framework for making adjustments in, in your, in your lineups in general, but really good questions. Happy to clarify those. Uh, going to move on to this next question here from Neil. And Neil said, has Saberson done any analysis to determine if it's reasonable to expect a positive ROI in some of these smaller minimax contests? For example, tonight's MLB late swap has a minimax with 5,945 entrants. If you max it out, you will have about 2.5% of the total entries in the contest. It's also really top heavy with 1K to first. Okay, so really good question here. Um, so I believe that if you had um watched our behind the sim series where eric last mlb season basically created the dfs profit plan in this series of our um our very first behind the sim series it was five episodes he talks about this a little bit and my my recollection if i recall correctly is that in this back testing we actually found that your um expected roi in the um in this very small 150 max that you're talking about is actually less than if you were to play the four dollar 20 max so you know there, there's a little bit of interesting takeaway there because your four dollar 20 max the the first one that they open the main one is usually above that 25k price pool threshold and so all all players in the lobby have access to that contest but because that other contest is so small, because it is so top heavy, because it only takes about 30, um, 30 ish unique users to 150 max. If, if 30 to 40, I, it might be 40 actually, uh, for this size. So if about 40 unique users, 150 max that contest, it would only take 40 players to max it out. Right. So there are plenty of good players under who have access to those contests that can max it out. And that contest can be relatively sharp. Right. But if you look at like the $4.20 max, where it has somewhere in the range of 10 to 20 K entrance, where each player can only max, only put in a max number of entries of 20 
um, entries into that contest, that contest gets filled up by a larger number of unique entrants. And what we had seen is the expected ROI uh, is actually better in that contest. So if you had to pick between the $4.20 max and the smaller contest, I would pick this. I would pick the $4.20 max first. Um, Also, I think it's okay to not play the max number of entrants. I actually missed that second part of the question from uh, Bill's Nut here, but this is a good part to uh, kind of circle back to that. Uh, with with these top heavy uh, contests, right? You you basically have to win first, or you're kind of in trouble, right? Uh, one thing that I personally like to do is, you know, there's there's a lot of conversation in the DFS space about once you get into the top 0.1 percent of a contest, the top 0.01 percent of a contest, uh, it gets very random as to whether you win first or whether you win fifth, right? But the the payouts are 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 very very different, and that can be the difference between a profitable night and a losing night if you are maxing out these contests, right? So something that I like to do on a little more of a conservative approach is look at what 10th place pays and be comfortable only entering the number of entries that matches that payout. So basically what I'm trying to say is I don't want to enter a contest where I got to get second to pay for my entry fees for the night uh, combined. So what I'll do is like, hey, you know, what does 10th place pay? Uh, you know, the difference between 1st and 10th is is really not that much different and can be pretty random. So let me see what 10th plays. And then let me just calculate, you know, how many entries I can get in with that 10th place payout and just enter that number of entries. So be comfortable entering less than the max. Um, you know, in, in theory, you're going to enter your highest EV contest first, followed by your second highest EV, your third highest EV. So each lineup uh, that you enter after your first is technically lower EV than the first one that you entered, and only one of your lineups can ultimately win first, right? So uh, one, for Bill's Nut, it is okay to enter less than the max. And then two, I think that you can make a calculated, um, conscious decision to enter less than the max when the payouts are very top-heavy and fall very quickly here. So that is another thing that I would consider doing Neil, uh, for it, for getting some action in that contest, but you know, some of that bankroll might be better used in other contests. All right. Really good questions there. Scrolling down here. Looks like we had some, um, follow-up here from Chuck for some of the back testing that we suggested that he do. So glad to see Chuck is doing that back testing and having some, uh, good feedback. It appears. And next question here from Salty, I would say. If I skip over anybody's question, just let me know. Uh, Salty said, in every contest I play, my 150 lineup builds are doing much better than the three max and single entries. Should I just make a build for 160 where I use unique random them, or should I just keep doing separate uh, because it's bound to hit for the three max and single entries? Uh, so, so good question here. Um, this kind of came up yesterday in support. I was talking to somebody about it. Um, it's, it's really a preference thing. I would say that, you know, our, our, um, best practice here is to follow the DFS profit plan and to create one build for single entry and three max, one build for 20 max and 150 max. Uh, sometimes users like to build those all together and then accept the variance and fill from that larger pool of your 20 max, 150 max lineups, and then just let the chips fall where they may for your single entries and three maxes. I think that 
uh, one good thing about doing that is that it makes it easier to manage when you go to late swap, when you go to manager lineups uh, later throughout the contest. I think that that point holds truer for NBA where you're running these late swaps with late breaking news, doing this really, really quickly here. Um, I think it makes a lot more sense for that in MLB should have plenty of time to run builds. should have plenty of time to do late swaps, to do quick swaps, et cetera here. So I don't think that point holds as true here, but some people just like the ease of management and are okay with the trade-off there. Uh, I, I personally don't love building 150 lineups and then having about 10 unique lineups across my single entries and three maxes and just kind of uh, being okay with the variance there. I like to be a little more deliberate personally here, but that's a risk management thing. That, that's something that I choose to do, right? So I think a great example is that over on owner's box, they run a 25 cent 150 max, and then they run their flagship. Uh, it's been like $15, 12 max for, for a while here. It looks like they dropped it down to a $5, like 30 max. So might approach that a little differently here, but when I'm investing, you know, 15, dollars per 12 entries. I don't really want to just randomly fill for my 150. I want to be a little more deliberate, a little more meticulous with uh, some of the stands I'm taking in that particular contest. So I like to build it differently. So it really comes down to what you're comfortable with, but I don't think that um, you, you're you're making a, a huge detriment by, by doing that. If that is the way that you feel to go, it really comes down to what you want to do. Okay, uh, next question here from Salty, second follow-up here. And then we will jump over to the YouTube chat after this question. So our last question in the Discord. If anybody has any last questions, now is a good time to get them in. See, our viewer count is up. What is going on, everybody? Uh, so this question from Salty, how is leverage calculated? I always thought leverage would be playing a low-owned player with good points per dollar, but I had 94% Strider one day in entry exposure, and he had 54 positive leverage because the field had him at 60%. Is it because his projection is so much better than the rest, and having him that much is leverage against the field? Okay, so really good question here. So, so leverage, what leverage is, is it is a calculation of your percent exposure minus the ownership of the player here. So what what leverage is, is you're basically saying, hey, um, the field, the, the average number of lineups that we're expecting to roster this player is 38.95% of lineups, about 39% of lineups we're expecting to roster Shohei Otani. If you have 45% Otani lineups in your set of lineups that you take with you into the contest, then on a player-by-player -player basis, you have 6% more Otani than every other player's portfolio in the contest. So all it is is your exposure minus the ownership in the field. So then basically what it's saying is like, hey, uh, your set of Otani lineups has, you have more Otani than the field does on average, which gives you positive leverage. And then inversely here, if you were to go and find a player with negative leverage, it's saying, hey, you know, you have 0% Logan Webb in your set of 20 lineups. The field will have about 21% of Logan Webb. So you're getting negative leverage on this play here. So that's all it is. It is a subtraction of exposure minus ownership. All right, jumping over to the YouTube chat. A quick, quick comment from Eagle said, great show, my friend. Happy to happy to do this show, man. I, I thoroughly enjoy it each and every day. And uh, I always wish there are more questions because I love talking to you guys. But thank you for the comment. Okay, AK said, 
if we consider on two game slates or showdowns, the studs, mid range and scrubs, what percent ranges would be considered higher or lower owned? Uh, so let's jump over to NBA. We'll talk about this a little bit here. And I'm going to just run a build, make two adjustments to projections here and just get us a build going. But, uh, but yeah, so, so talking about, you know, stars and scrubs lineups versus like a, uh, a balanced build. Those are like kind of the two frameworks that people really talk about NBA lineups where, Hey, I'm paying up for Jokic. So I got to get some salary relief. So I'm going to get some of these lower owned guys. So that is more like a stars and scrubs type lineup. And then you'll see more of these balanced lineups where you don't really see players over that, over that, uh, high pay range here. So this top lineup here, our, our top projected lineup, or I'm sorry, our top saber score lineup, I would consider this like a stars and scrubs lineup where we are going down and getting TJ Warren at 3,300 salary. We're getting Landry Shamit at 3,600 salary. And then we're paying up for Jokic at 11-2, right? And then if I were to scroll down here, uh, looks like we looks like we think Jokic is a, is a great payup option here. So I'm just going to find a lineup without him here. And then this number eight lineup, I would say that this is more like a balanced build where um, we have we we still have TJ Warren and Shamit, but we we don't really have any players above like the 10K range. Our highest player is Embiid at 9,700. And then we get some more like Jamal Murray's, Jalen Brown's, Aaron Gordon, some more of these mid-range type guys in like the five to 7K salary range here. Um, as far as you know, what, which which ones you should take with you into your contest, um, which ones are better to play. That's that's really slate dependent. Um, I would say that, you know, you you can look at ownerships here and kind of figure out what is going to be the popular type of construction here. So, so one thing that I think that you can do is sort by ownership, see who the highest owned players are, and then figure out, you know, what is going to be very popular on this slate. So if I were to look at this here, sort by ownership, uh, our top ownerships uh, for salaries are 5,500, 6,000, 3,300, 5,200, 5,000, 5,300. Uh, these six salaries here are, are, are all projected to be over 40% owned here. So my my initial impression is that a lot of people are going to go with this kind of balanced type of structure here where they are trying to get to a lot of mid-range players. My, my, my inclination now is that the reason we are seeing so much Jokic is because SaberSim understands that understands these ownerships, and with the negative weighting of adjusted ownership in the Saber Score formula, it is saying like, hey, you know, a lot of the field is going to be playing a lot of these forty percent owned guys in this mid range salary. Let's let's pay up for Jokic, and then let's go and get some of these lower owned plays here. So ownership is going to have a very very big hand in the type of constructions that you get here. I think SaberSim does a great job of analyzing all of these components and then building you good lineups that are different from the field ultimately here. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we're seeing overall. But AK, if I miss anything, just, just let me know. Okay, Noah said, for MLB, does it make sense to grab a 99th percentile as well as a 50th and a 5th percentile for a three entry or 20 entry, or should you keep all the lineups in the highest percentile? Okay. So let's jump back to MLB and, um, thought I had a bug on me. Let's go back to the main slate and we'll just keep working with this build that we previously built here. Uh, here it is. So this looks like a, uh, lineup sorting type of question here. I think that you can do a lot of different things here. 
Uh, so if, if you want to get away from the default Sabre score formulas, I think that's okay. Uh, people people do that all the time. You could, you know, build your own custom metrics if you're on the pro plan. Or maybe you say like, hey, I just want to focus on the highest scoring lineups and I want to use, you know, 100% weight on percentiles. I think that's okay too. I've definitely experimented with that in the past year. Um, so, so what I would do is I would, I'm going to use 95th percentile here. This is just the outcome that happens to, um, come up a little more often, right? A one in 20 chance, as opposed to a one in 100 chance with 99th percentile there. So I think, I think 99 is okay. I think 95th is, um, something I'm a little more comfortable using personally here. Uh, but, but what you can do is that, you know, Hey, I don't, I don't really want to optimize, uh, based on ownership, I want to just build the highest scoring lineups for like my three entry maxes. I think that's okay. I think you can use percentiles here. I would say that, you know, the, the bigger the contest, the more you kind of want to think about more components like ownership. And um, so I, I would say like when you get into these 20 maxes where you're getting to these like 10 to 20K entries for like your quarter jukeboxes, your $4, 20 max, etc. I would be... Um, more inclined to use some of these saber score formulas. But I think if you're playing some of these smaller three entries, single entries, and you just want to use percentiles and try to build the highest scoring lineup, I think that's okay. Your your odds of getting duped are going to be super, super small in these single entry and, um, you know, in a, in a big classic MLB slate in general. All right. Scrolling down here. Uh, Question from Adam. Hey, Andrew, thanks for doing these. Usually do the right to left style using exposures, et cetera, post build. But now and then I'll have a goal in mind and want to force stack exposures, but they never end up exactly how I set them, even if running 5,000. Can you explain why it sometimes defers even when I think there are no conflicting settings? Uh, sorry for the long question. So no worries here. Uh, yeah, so so I was actually having a conversation about this yesterday um, internally here. And, and basically what I think that the right approach is here is let's say that you're even somebody who wants to set a higher mini niche, right? You want to you want to max it out. I think eight was the number that we got to earlier. So let's say that you want to set it at eight, right? And you want to get as diverse as possible. And then once you come into these other formulas here, like, okay, you know, I'm at eight, but I don't want any three stacks. I don't want any four stacks here, right? Let's just say that I'm, I'm going to make adjustments to where I... I want to take a stand on something and I'm having trouble because of this right to left approach. So let's say that, you know, maybe I don't want any team more than 15% of, so I'm going to keep making adjustments here, keep making adjustments here. And then boom, I'm going to hit this unable to meet exposures setting. So what I would suggest doing is that if you're doing this right to left approach, but you're trying to take stands along the way and you run into an error, hit keep editing. And then each time you run into an error, drop your min uniques by one. And then usually by allowing the builder to, to build lineups with a lower min unique setting, you will then be able to get to the exposures that you were previously looking for here. So then I'm just going to keep doing this process. 15, 15. I don't know if I could get to 15% of every team here, but we're going to try. 15. So then I'm at min unique seven. And then now I run into the error again. So then what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop it now to six. And then, so you start from this like a uh, wide, wide approach, right? This, this high mini unique, and then you lower it slowly as you're having trouble getting to the stands that you want, getting to the stack types that you want, the team stacks, et cetera. Right. So that is the, the best way I've found 
to adjust your exposures along the way and still get to as high of a mini unique setting as possible. So you set it to the max, you work it down as you take these stands. And then once you are comfortable with the stands that you're taking with team stacks, with um, pitchers probably, and then, you know, you, you know that your mini unique is at the highest possible setting to meet all of these things. So that is the way that I would suggest using it. And um, just every time you get to that intersection, make a decision, do I want to move my mini uniques down or do I want to abandon this team stack min exposure that I have now set? And then Adam said, uh, thanks, Andrew. Very helpful. We'll play around more tonight. Awesome, man. Check it out and, uh, you know, hit me right back tomorrow. You know where I will be. But it uh, looks like we are all caught up with questions via support, via Discord, via YouTube here. So great show today, everybody. Uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in. And I'm just going to make one last announcement here while we wait for any last questions. But if you guys are not playing over on Owner's Box, I highly suggest you do it. Uh, contests continue to overlay. Contests are softer. A lot of the other major um, companies are, are, are not supporting owner, Owner's Box projections, um, not, not playing over there regularly. So a lot of softer competition, in my opinion. And also, if you use code SABER or SABERSIM, one, you'll be able to cash in on a $500 deposit bonus. And then two, we will track your entry fees and you can earn free SABERSIM credit as you continue to play over there. And then um, once you hit a uh, certain threshold, we will reach out to you, let you know if you want to cash in on that offer. If you say yes, the the um, the offer will reset. So we track your entry fees once you hit $3,500. And entry fees will reach out to you, say, hey, do you want to cash in on your month of standard? If you say yes, we will reset that to zero, and then you'll be able to earn another free month of standard, and that will continue on. So take advantage of the soft contest of the overlay and of the free Saberson credit by playing over on Owner's Box. But no more questions, everybody. So I will see you all tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, for our next show. Uh, so see you then. Take care, and good luck. Bye.